Welcome to We Fish ASA, the best darn fishing show on the radio or the internet in the entire USA. My name is Steve Surley. My partner is Dave Kranz. We Fish ASA is always pleased to offer you a conversation with the most interesting, the most informative, the most entertaining, as well as some of the biggest names in the world of fishing. We Fish ASA is brought to you by the proud industry members of the American Sport Fishing Association, especially St. Croix, the best rods on earth. Calcutta, makers of a line of products that fit your fishing lifestyle and passion. Daiwa, take a look at the new Tatula Elite Reel. You'll love it as much as we do. We Fish ASA presents a new episode of our one-hour podcast each and every week. It's available 24-7 at anywhere that you listen to podcasts. We are all over the map. Don't forget, we're always available on our website, wefishasa.com. We Fish ASA is recorded and produced at two studios in Chicago. I'm at one, Dave's at the other. We send the audio down to our buddy, our executive producer, Brad Nearman, down in Clearwater, Florida. He puts it all together makes it sound as good as it does. On today's show, we welcome Dan Johnston, usual visitor. We're also going to visit Emmett Brown. He's the director of the National Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame up in Hayward, Wisconsin. And I get to visit with Elton Jones. Top professional, $3 million man. He's just won $100,000 in the Major League Fishing Heavy Hitters Tournament. He's going to tell you how he did that. He's a very, very good man, a cool guy. Let's first turn it over to Dave Kranz. We'll bring on our good friend, Dan Johnston. Hey, David, take it away. And as Steve said, I am Dave Kranz. This is the We Fish ASA podcast. And this segment is brought to you by St. Croix, the best rods on earth. And once again, welcome back, Dan Johnston. Hey, Dave, how are you? I am doing good. You know, we're getting a little kind of cooler weather here uh, for a few days, and then it looks like spring's going to bust loose. And, uh, you know, today's topic, we, we I don't think we've covered this before, but uh, so many of the guys that are going out fishing in a the boat, they, they go right to the bank and they're flipping docks or pitching docks or skipping under the trees and, and hard targets. And the guys that are on the bank are trying to cast a lure as far as they can. But that's not always what's necessary. There's different... Uh, lengths of cast to do different techniques. Some of them are, uh, you know, uh, short. Some of them are long. Some of them are vertical. Uh, pitching, flipping, uh, different things. And you get into the fly world, and you're you're trying to put that fly in a spot. So so it's kind of uh, uh, it's not always how far you can cast. It it's where you put it, isn't it? It is, and it's a good topic. And I'm glad you went down the fly road because we can talk about that too. But and not only is it the strategy behind the distance of the cast, but when we do define that, rod becomes huge, but so does line and so does the reel. So we can go a lot of different angles with this, but your topic's important. And I think the listener could benefit from getting more information on what makes what work. Okay, well, let's, you know, long cast. Uh, sometimes, some topic, sometimes you want to make a long cast for top water or, or just when you're covering water uh, with maybe a lipless crankbait or something like that. How does the line and the rod and the reel play into that, making a long cast? Yeah, we'll choose lipless baits for an example. That, that type of bait, fortunately, has great aerodynamics to it. You take the red-eye shad, the rattle trap, but I could go to uh, spoons, too. Not, not spoons, but like the, the, uh, the sonar type baits. They throw an absolute mile, whether you're throwing them into a dead wind or not, because of the aerodynamics and how they fly. But that being said, you put a real ropey, heavy line on it, it'll cut the casting distance down. You put a rod that's too stiff on it, 
cuts the casting distance down. If you put a reel that doesn't hold the right line capacity, cuts the casting distance down. So let's get more specific. Speaking on behalf of St. Croix, that type of bait will throw anywhere between a seven foot two, seven foot four, a little bit longer rod gets you a longer arc. You, you, it's one thing to get rod speed, which is the speed of the blend through the air, but that longer arc, the longer rod, generally speaking, is going to throw a bait a little farther than a shorter rod. That's a generality. Secondly, when it's out there and you get bit way out, it picks up more slack. So it's a much better hook setting tool. The line with that type of bait, braid's going to throw it the farthest. Absolutely, 100%. But there's also times when we don't necessarily want to throw it on braid. It depends on personal preference. But braid would be your best for, for distance. And then in terms of a reel, there's a bunch of them on the market right now that have super free spools on them. You don't need a real deep spool. It can be a shallow spool, but make sure it has the right width and make sure it has the right line capacity for what you're trying to throw. And with a lipless bait, you don't need super heavy line. I'm throwing it all the way down on 15-pound braid. So I know there's a lot to that answer, but if you get it set up the right way, you, you, you can throw it so far that you're almost uncomfortable getting bit. Absolutely. So uh, now let's uh, talk about something that's closer to uh, uh it could be out of a boat if you're doing a vertical presentation, but you could be off a, a seawall, you could be off a dock, and you can still do vertical from the bank also. Not as easy as in a boat, but um, what about the, the same type of, uh, what kind of setup with, with the line rod and reel for a vertical presentation, or is it not as critical? It's just as critical. And, and, and again, I'm going to speak in generalities here. There's two buckets I put vertical fishing in. High-sided boats, big water, big waves, and then your standard utopian situation where it's nice out there and you can just hold it out. So generally speaking, the closer to the tip is to your hand, the more control you're going to have over that vertical jig situation. A lot of vertical jig rods are between six foot, six three, up to about six six. Now, if you're in a high-sided boat or if you're in waves or if you're running something a little heavier, big water, three-eighths, five-eighths, three-quarter ounce, stuff like that, you want a little bit longer rod just from a sheer control standpoint. You know, um, the line, a lot of it depends on the, uh, the gauge of your hook. There's times we downsize and we go thin wire and light finesse situations or hair jigs or light plastic, that type of thing. You can vertical jig, all, believe it or not, all the way down with six-pound line. And then to the contrary, the second example I gave you, we're going heavier than that. Um, almost done exclusively with a spinning reel because of the drags, but there's people that do vertical fish, especially spoons and heavier stuff with a bait caster. If you think about that, you've got tremendous control on letting just a little bit of line out if you want to change depths just with a simple click of the thumb and just engage it. So again, a lot of that topic too. That's the beauty of this of this this episode is there's a ton of information, but I, hopefully some of it out there is helpful. Absolutely. Now, uh, short cast presentations, we flip, we pitch, and uh, it's kind of crazy. You get right on top of them sometimes, and, and you're making casts that are only five, six, ten feet long. Uh, what are we looking at for the uh, the equipment there? This is where I'm going to get people scratching their head because they just said the, the long rod throws it further, Right. So now you're asking about flipping and pitching. So they think, well, obviously, if that's only 10 foot away, it must be a shorter rod. Absolutely not. And the reason why is we're not using the length of the rod anymore for casting distance. We're using it for leverage. There's, a, there's two or three things going on here, flip, flipping or pitching. Number one, a seven and a half to eight foot rod, at, when held at a 45, the tip 
is a lot farther away from your body than a six foot rod. So you're getting a better angle of attack of that line going into the water. You're less likely to get it hung up. That's point number one. Number two is when we go to set the hook or move a fish, you have so much more leverage. You watch somebody flipping and they set the hook with a seven foot, 10 inch rod. The, the, the distance in which they have to move that rod to get the hook set is nothing compared to a six foot rod in terms of overall sweep. Yeah. And, and then thirdly, yeah, when you get the fish hooked up, you have more leverage to fight them out too. So you want a longer rod for that. Absolutely. And then when you are setting the hook, you're you're setting straight up. And if that fish has in mouth, you're already getting the head and the momentum of the fish moving in the right direction because generally we're doing the flipping and pitching into pretty uh, woolly areas, right? Well, that's exactly right. We, we always say, and this is true with frog fishing too, you win in the first two seconds. <laughs> if that fish gets its head turned, uh, she's got gotcha. you. Where if you can win that first two seconds with braid, number one, anytime I'm in vegetation, flipping or pitching or frog fishing, 100% with braid. Number one, it cuts vegetation, but also there's a stretch. So you can get that fish's head. You can beat that, that. You win that battle in the first two seconds. And sometimes we're reeling in a pound of weeds, but who cares um, at that point? Because if they turn on you or if you use uh, monofilament or something like stretching it, you're, you're going to lose more than you get back. Absolutely. Now, now some uh, topwater presentations where we don't have the heavy cover and it's open, uh, isn't that kind of both where, depending on where that weed bed is or that rock pile, that you, you might have a shorter, longer, mid-range cast and, and what type of equipment it would be best for that? 100% agree that the wide open topwater rod with a big spook or sammy or anything, sometimes I'll run a, uh, a cigar braid to it with a monofluoroliter. Uh, with a walking bait when I'm trying to throw it a mile. If it's the scenario where I'm not trying to throw it far, I'll use a shorter rod, and sometimes I'll use monofilament um, on that because it floats. Uh, a braid floats as well. I'll never, ever use a fluorocarbon, but I'm using a rod that's about six and a half foot long in that scenario. Yeah, because there's different... Uh different cases where we can go let's you know i want to make sure we touch a little bit on the fly because that's i know you've uh, done a lot of fly fishing instruction and um uh, how about that for long and short cast let's give them a little uh, we, i'm sure we have some guys out there and ladies out there that are listening uh, uh and fly fish yeah there's a diminishing return on that i mean the, the best rods to throw a long ways are the nine foot rods you know and it can be anywhere for any weight you know that you know five weight six weight seven weight eight weight all the way out to whatever but generally speaking those are the ones where you really want to get out get up and touch something you know and throw on 100 plus feet um and then when you, the converse of that would be working a spring creek for trout or a target scenario or a nine foot rod first of all you can't physically cast it when you got trees all around you. But secondly, they're not near as good from, you know, a 10 to 15 foot cast, which is gold in a spring creek for trout. Then we're, Dave, we're going all the way down to six and a half, seven foot rods in that scenario. So it's all relative to um, casting distance, but also control on where you want to put that fly. And then there's a lot of other factors too, from protecting the tip and light. Oh, like tip it and so forth but generally speaking it's the same thing as in a casting and spinning rod the longer the rod the farther it's going to throw yeah and that's that's good information and you know this this is a uh is a topic we haven't covered but i think at at some point uh 
you know, there may be some questions that come in about this and there may be uh, ideas that we come up with that we say, hey, you know what, we got to go back and revisit that. On It can be when we're talking about anything as far as, you know, reels, rods, lines, because we cover, try to cover so much information. But uh, uh, this was a good topic. I'm, I'm glad that I uh, came up with this one and you always give us great answers. And I definitely uh, thank you for being on the podcast as always. Well, we always learn. The best part of this for me is the feedback we get back that makes me learn something that we can pass along together the next time. That's the end goal. It is. And, uh, Dan, we always appreciate you having on. We'll, we will definitely talk to you next week. Thanks, Dave. No problem. That was Dan Johnson from St. Croix, the best rods on earth. I am Dave Kranz. Steve Sarley is remote. And the We Fish ASA podcast will be right back. Probably one of the number one questions I get, you know, what line do I use? That's a big debate. For every tour out there, everybody's debating which line. I choose the simple side. My choice of line is sunline. One of my favorite lines to use is sunline. How all can you use it? Anywhere you want to. Anywhere there's water and bass, it's good. Walleye, catfish, trout, speckled trout, sharks. There we go. Uh, I don't say this unless I think it's true, but honestly, it's the best in the market. The outdoors is more than just a profession for us here at Big Rock Sports. As avid anglers, hunters, and outdoor enthusiasts, it's our passion. So advocating on behalf of the outdoor sporting goods industry is a top priority for us. Big Rock Sports is proud to serve as the voice and advocate of outdoor sporting goods retailers across the nation. Big Rock Sports works tirelessly to protect our fisheries and anglers' rights. Big Rock Sports, we are here for you. Rule your water. Rule it with a St. Croix rod. Whether you take to the lake, wade the rivers, or cast from shore, St. Croix provides responsive performance, ensuring your success below every surface. With a St. Croix rod in hand, you're a part of a celebrated tradition that has spanned 70 years. Touch, power, and control are right at your fingertips and extend to you the finest fishing experience on the planet. St. Croix, the best rods on earth. Welcome back to the We Fish ASA podcast. I am Dave Cran. Steve Sarley is remote, and this segment is brought to you by Calcutta, an outdoor company that builds gear and apparel for those with a passion for the outdoors. I like to think that uh, every person that I interview for this segment does have a passion for the outdoors, and I believe our next guest certainly does. He is Emmett Brown. He's director of the Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame. Welcome to the program, Emmett. Well, thanks for inviting me. Um, appreciate it. Oh, no problem. So for those that aren't familiar with the Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame, um, maybe just give us a little overview of, uh, of what it's about and the whys and the hows and, uh, and uh, give them a little, uh, little idea of what, what you're doing up there. We have, um, of course, our, our museum location is uh, in Hayward, Wisconsin. It's the, uh, the home of the iconic uh, Big Muskie. 40 feet long, well, 150 feet long, 40 feet high. Sorry about that. Uh, it's a walkthrough. Uh, there are some artifacts in it, but the, the lion's share of our artifacts are housed in our museum um, uh, on our grounds. And we have thousands and um, thousands of, of artifacts uh, on display 
kind of outline the history and heritage of freshwater sport fishing. Excellent. Um, Boats, motors, rods, reels, lures, of course. Uh, lures that actually work, lures that probably never worked, you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> yep. Novelty stuff. But they're still part of the history. But they're absolutely part of the history. It may, to some people, sometimes, maybe perhaps even the most important part of the history. We also have a, um, we're also Freshwater Fishing's uh, Hall of Fame as well. We recognize those men and women that have made significant and lasting contributions to the sport of freshwater fishing. Um, I believe the number right now is somewhere around 300 uh, men and women that we've uh, inducted. Now that's, that's uh, so if you, if a person is inducted, you're in pretty good company because 300 uh, out of the millions upon millions of, um, of anglers uh, throughout the years, that's uh that's stiff competition. Very much so. So we also have. Yeah, I'm sorry. No, that's fine. Go ahead. Do you also have? Please. We also we also have uh, we also are the record keepers uh, for freshwater fishing's uh, um, largest fish, and we have two divisions: one kept, one catch and release. Kept. Well, kept's a nice way of saying uh, killed, and it, it goes by weight only. And then catch and release, which is of course the most popular program now. Uh, that's that is um, that goes by length. Yeah, and it used to not be like that. Things though. we do. Yeah, it, it used the to history not. And heritage. Yeah, go ahead. No, I said it used to not be like that, where people uh, did a lot of catch and releasing. They they kept them in the old days, and and you know uh, over the decades, I think people realized that. The resource needs to be protected to some level, and, and letting some fish go isn't a bad thing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it used to be that, uh, um, you know, the size of the fish only dictated the way you were going to clean it. Mm. But that's not the that's not the case anymore. Um, I, I I think our 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 kept versus cash release uh, applications. Um, Probably number, you know, nine, you know, nine out of ten, the um, the catch and release division. Probably even a higher number than that, to be honest with you. Yeah, and that's not a bad thing. No, no, and um, um, but we're real proud of that program. We have over. Uh, uh, Three thousand entries in our record book in both divisions, and and the um, and the divisions are broke down by rod and reel, fly fishing, whole line no reel, the way a lot of us started fishing, cane pole in other words, mm -hmm. and then ice fishing. No, and that's then within each category. There's a um, uh, there's all tackle, and then. Um, and then the uh, line test. So that's how that's how we got to about uh, um, three thousand entries. Excellent. Does it make a difference whether it's artificial lure or live bait? No, no, no difference whatsoever. Okay. Um, no, we don't. Uh, just so it's done within um, our legal means, whatever legal in that particular state region. 
Sure, sure. How long has the Freshwater uh, Fishing Hall of Fame been around? 1960. 1960. Oh, 1960. The fish, the fish wasn't built to the late 70s. Uh, the big muskie. Uh, the grounds opened a, a little bit before that, and then, you know, one time, uh, the museum was uh, in the fish. So, so we've grown quite a bit since then, and and um, uh, interesting. And your your um, listeners might find this interesting. The seed money for. Um, uh, for for not only the fish but the museum came from Jim Beam, the whiskey, hmm. and uh, we had um, it was a program that went for about ten years, and we were selling um, um, these these uh, collectible ceramic uh, decanters uh, depicting uh, various fish. Very and, neat. Uh, yeah, so that was that's where the seed money came from. Then we caught on, and then we started getting other um, other sponsors, other donors. So, and it brings you all the way. Membership. We also have a sustaining membership, uh, and that numbers uh, about five thousand uh, individuals. All this, is, by the way, is on our website. Yeah, give that. Where? How do they people get this? Find out. Um, just, just. Tell them to Google Fishing Hall of Fame. Fishing Hall of Fame, and it'll pop fishing, up. They, they, they if, if Google Fishing Hall of Fame or Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame, will be the first domain that pops up. Excellent. Then they can look at it and find out all kinds of information that, that all we... All kinds of stuff. The, yeah, again, the history and heritage, all our programs are on there, and um, there's pictures of all our inductees uh, through the years. A record book is on there. So they should find it pretty interesting. How do these uh, people that get inducted qualify for this? How are they selected or what is the process well, for that? Yeah, that's a good question. Maybe the most widely asked question. Um, you can't nominate yourself. So you have to be nominated. Okay. And then and then we once we once the nomination process is completed through an application, which is on our website as well. Um, we meet, uh, we have a, a national, um, actually it's international the more I think about it, because we have uh, uh, one or two uh, individuals on our selection committee that are from Canada, so, um, and one from Europe. And uh, we didn't meet last year because of, you know, COVID, of course. Yeah. So we did everything via Zoom. But uh, we, we, we generally meet uh, uh, in August here in Hayward, face-to-face. -face. It's unclear as to how we're going to do it this year, but uh, we'll, let the, uh, we'll let the scientists tell us what we should do. How's that? Yeah, that's probably good. Good uh, way to look at it because with so many unknowns, so. yeah. And then uh, they look at the uh, the committee. Well, we sit down and uh, usually we meet for about three days, and we sit down and look at everything and and select uh, eight or nine in individuals on an annual basis. On an annual basis, out of maybe a hundred that are submitted for nomination. Okay. Yeah. So again, stiff competition. Absolutely. 
Especially with all the millions and millions of uh, licensed anglers. Yeah, and, right. And I mean, that's the whole thing, you know. Um, everyone fishes. We like to say it's called fishing, not catching, by the way. It is because, uh, it, <laughs> that, and that's kind of the same way with fishing or hunting. It, it, it is the... Uh, uh, the hunt, not the harvest, and I think uh, right. fishing is much like hunting, where you, if you can find them, most of the time you can catch them, but not always. But not always, exactly. And if you can't uh, get outside on a nice day and, and enjoy yourself bobbing around on a boat or sitting on a on a um, on a river bank or a, a, some sort of shore bank, uh, you can't find joy in that. Well. There's nothing like well, being in the outdoors. But how's that, right? Yeah. Right. There's nothing like being there. Did did the um, uh, COVID have some effect on the amount of people that came through uh, last year in the summer? Yeah, uh, we had uh, we um, we couldn't open in in April. Generally, we opened uh, April uh, April fifteenth, mid May. Okay. So we weren't able to open in April or May. And then we, we had reduced hours in June. I think we were just open five days a week in June. But then by July 1st, we were back to our normal schedule um, every day of the week, uh, 9.30 to 4. And then uh, November 1st, we closed every year for the year. Yeah, things uh, turned to ice up there in the Northland. <laughs> yeah. It affected us. Our admissions uh, were down a little bit, but... Uh, um, we opened yesterday, or two days ago, Saturday, uh, for the year, and we were busy, you know, uh, you know, busy for April, that is. I right, right, it's early. It's early, right. And the weather's going to get better, and we're all going to have those desires to be out in the outdoors and, and uh, go fishing, and uh, uh, once again, if they want to try to find out uh, all the information about the uh Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame. They can just search that or Google that on uh, Fishing Hall yeah. of Fame, and you'll pop up there, and you they can take a we'll look be on the first domain that pops up. And they can they can find ways to donate there, find ways to come up and visit you, and and go through this uh, wonderful uh, uh, you know group of not only antiques but but maybe the history of of the sport starting. You know we have. In our museum, we have the first Evan Rood that, that ever came off the line. Very neat. Number one. Very neat. Yeah. That's great. And, we have a lot of firsts. And, and to have that and be able to see that, that's awesome. So those of you visiting northern Wisconsin this year, make sure you do that. And uh, Emmett Brown, uh, thank you for being on the We Fish ASA podcast today. We truly appreciate it. Thank you. Very much appreciate it, and thanks to everyone for listening. Oh, no problem. That was Emmett Brown, director of the Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame. I am Dave Cran. Steve Sarley is remote. And this segment was brought to you by Calcutta, an outdoor company that builds gear and apparel for those with a passion for the outdoors. The We Fish ASA podcast will be right back. The outdoors is more than just a profession for us here at Big Rock Sports. As avid anglers, hunters, and outdoor enthusiasts, it's our passion. So advocating on behalf of the outdoor sporting goods industry is a top priority for us. Big Rock Sports is proud to serve as the voice and advocate of outdoor sporting goods retailers across the nation. Big Rock Sports works tirelessly to protect our fisheries and anglers' rights. 
Big Rock Sports, we are here for you. Calcutta, we're an outdoor coastal trading company that builds gear and apparel for those with a passion for the outdoors. Born in the back of a Florida bait and tackle shop, Calcutta was created with a rebellious spirit and a goal to offer hardworking outdoor products at a reasonable price. Calcutta builds the products that fit your lifestyle. We're on a mission to help you reclaim your free time and to declare mutiny on the mundane. Depend on Calcutta gear and apparel. Bass anglers have heard it all when it comes to manufacturers having the best casting reel. Well, Daiwa can back it up with the Tatula SV. The Tatula SV has three key features that make it the most versatile casting reel on the market today. The SV spool is a lightweight aluminum spool allowing for long control light lure casting. MAG4Z gives you the option to set a precise casting range no matter what lure or wind situation. The Daiwa T-Wing system reduces line angle and friction when casting. Distance, control, and finesse like no other reel on the market. Petula, the ultimate finesse long cast system designed by Daiwa. Welcome back to We Fish ASA. I am Steve Surley. My partner Dave Kranz is remote. We Fish ASA is brought to you by the proud industry members of the American Sport Fishing Association. Please help to ensure the future of fishing by visiting keepamericafishing.org. And if you're an industry professional, please consider joining the American Sport Fishing Association by visiting asafishing.org. Professional, that's a word that gets tossed around a lot, but I'm going to toss it around here and I'm going to really mean it and it is really applicable because our next guest is a true professional in all sense of the word. He is a class act, one of the good guys of the sport. He's been around a while. He's won a lot of money, and he's adding that total because he is the winner of the recent Major League Fishing Heavy Hitters Tournament. Another $100,000 check to go in the bank account of the one and only Alton Jones. Hey, Alton, how are you? I'm doing great, Steve. Thank you so much for having me on today. Oh no problem! Glad to have glad to have you. Uh, I said you're 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 no uh, you're no rookie at this. Uh, how long have you been in professional fishing, Elton? Well, this is actually my thirty first season as a full time professional bass fisherman, and um, it's hard to believe it's been that long because I, I don't feel old enough to have been in it thirty one years, but here I am. Well, you know, I, I look at pictures of you, and I look at pictures of another guy carrying that Elton Jones name. That's uh, Elton Jones Jr., your son, and, and you certainly look more like uh, his older brother than, than his dad. <laughs> well, you're, you're kind to say that, and uh, I, it, I tell you, it's, it's great having him out there fishing against me in all the tournaments now. We uh, we have a good, a good time. We cheer for each other, but uh, we kind of rib each other and have our own separate competition along the way at the same time. Fair enough. Yeah, I can un- I can understand it. That's got to be absolutely great. Um, where, you come from? Where do you come from? Uh, I live in Lorena, Texas, which is a suburb of Waco. And Waco is closest to what? You know, if you look on a map, we're halfway between Dallas and Austin. Okay, the exact midpoint between those two, along I thirty five. There. Fair enough. Fair enough. What What does uh, Elton Jones consider home water to be? You know, um, my home, the best fishery closest to my house is a lake called Lake Whitney, but it's not a, it's not like a professional tournament type lake. Uh, as far as the, the waters around here that I really like to fish a lot, um, I drive a few hours and I spend a lot of time down at Lake Falcon, 
and uh, Lake Amistad, which, you know, of course, are both world-class fisheries. Um, lots of big fish down there, and that's I think that's why I enjoy spending so much time there. Oh, fair enough. I can certainly understand that. Uh, Texas is, th- this is my opinion only, I don't have any statistics to back it up, but maybe 10 years ago when you'd say Texas, people would say right away, oh yeah, Lake Fork, you know, I, I, that was the lake that they knew in Texas, and I think that uh, the, the Texas uh, uh, Chambers of Commerce, the DNR, whatever, has done such a good job in promoting uh, Texas bass fishing that we now know of so many more lakes. There are so many more places to fish, and there's so many more tournaments in Texas than ever before that I can remember. Am I uh, analyzing that correctly, Elton? Well, you really are, Steve. Um, You know, our Texas Parks and Wildlife uh, Fisheries Management uh, has has really set the bar nationally for how how to manage fisheries, for sport fishing, for bass fishing. uh, you know, I feel safe to say that there's more bass over 10 pounds caught out of the state of Texas now than uh, any other state in the country. Uh, and I, I'm sure you've probably watched all the statistics. This spring, we've had just a we've had a huge number of fish in the 13 to 16 pound class that have been uh, that have been weighed in and turned into the the Toyota Share Lunker program. Uh, but Texas Texas uh, really took took to the forefront. 20 years ago in, in promoting catch and release and uh, genetic research on bass and how to, how to improve the habitat in our fisheries. Um, and it has made a world of difference in the quality of bass fishing that we have. Oh, it's, it's, ama- it's amazing. And, and I know we've talked to, uh, we've talked to them uh, around when, when the uh, uh, Toyota uh, Texas uh the tournament uh, uh, gets done, which is now under the auspices of one of the uh, one of the tours. But that used to be just a, like a standalone event, and that drew the biggest anglers in the country. Everybody wanted to fish that Toyota event because uh, it was just prime. Yeah, it really was, and um, it, it was a great chance great chance to showcase some of the great fisheries around the state. Um, I think that that event may actually become a standalone event once again. From rumors I've been hearing, I don't know anything. For sure, but uh, it is it is something we all want to be part of. You know, everybody wants to go to the best lakes in the world and, and fish them at the best time and have a chance at that bass of a lifetime. Yeah, it, interesting, interesting. Hey, I just read about some young fella from Oklahoma uh, in that Cheryl Lunker program that, that hit cracked that 13-pound mark twice in a short amount of time, and I was like, I, I'm not, I can't document that, that it's actually true. I've read it all over the Internet, but... To think about that, a location yeah. where you could catch two 13-pound bass in, in, in the same spring season, I don't know where else in the world you can do something like that. Yeah, I don't either. And uh, Texas is just really special. By, by the way, the hottest lake in our state right now is a lake called O.H. Ivy. Uh, anybody that's been reading Fishing News has heard about it. Uh, it's, it's hard to say how many fish over 13 that have come out of there since... Well, since we had that severe cold snap in February, yeah, uh, you know it, it's interesting. We had that cold snap; that was the coldest weather we've had on record in Texas in decades and decades. Got down below zero, which it doesn't do here. I know, you know, other parts of the country that's normal, but that that really triggered those uh, big fish into a biting mood. Is is that weather broke and it began to warm up a little bit? Uh, all over the state, we started seeing big big fish fall, but Lake Ohio, especially, really. Uh, 
really began to pump out some giants uh, up to 16 pounds in, in numbers of them. <laughs> Unbelievable! Throwing around those double-digit numbers like it's like it's common—that that should be illegal for Pete's sake. Unbelievable! Uh, yeah, hey, right. <laughs> right, right time of the year. Uh, this uh, this uh, major league fishing heavy hitters was certainly uh, planned and coincided with a perfect time for the type of fishing you do. Um, at the uh, at the Sharon Harris Reservoir in Raleigh. Uh, worked out worked out very well. Couldn't have planned a better time or weather, could they have? No, it was great. The weather was beautiful all week. Um, we stayed mostly rain free, and uh, you know, temperatures in the eighties. Uh, and the, what we what we ended up catching was the first wave of fish that were beginning to move shallow and start to spawn. So kind of that pre spawn to spawn transition. Uh, you know that that that, that wave's kind of sweeping north across the country right now. As time goes by, it's a great time to hit the water and be out there. Uh, definitely, definitely makes sense to me. So you, you you had very clear water. Actually, the water in the Raleigh area is not all that clear. You can you can see down maybe twelve to eighteen inches, uh, but the bass were spawning really shallow, which allowed me to do some sight fishing even in the dirty water conditions. What do you consider really shallow? Less than a foot in most circumstances. Oh. You know, when the water's been cold and you get those first 80-degree days, that that first foot and a half or two feet of water, that top layer is what warms the fastest. And this is the one time of year that those real big girls, they want to get up there and sun themselves in that super shallow stuff. And, um, you know, that's, uh, that's, that's what we were experiencing. Unbelievable. All right, I want to ask you about that because you are known uh, for your – competency and ability as a, as a sight fisherman uh, so that that worked out real well and and I'm surprised that they're spawning up that shallow but that, that obviously certainly helped you um, we, we talk about uh, things that make uh, fishing so much better and for lack of a better word easier and we talk about uh, the electronics being important. I I'm guessing your electronics uh, don't play as big a part in this game as uh, it does for other people or other times of year or other fisheries. Well, you'd be surprised, even in shallow water, how big of a, of a part they do play. Um, now, maybe not the forward-looking sonar. You know, my, my, I, I run Garmin uh, product and, you know, the live scope and that sort of thing, but... I'm always looking at my electronics, even in shallow water. For example, even if I'm fishing a foot deep, there's lots of places in the lake that are a foot deep, but they're not all created equal. Uh, my, my garments will show me the hardness of the bottom where, I, where I've got good, uh, firm bottom that the fish can spawn on. And even more importantly, I want, want to find areas where there's a little bit of deeper water, you know, maybe three to five feet of water, cutting in close to those one-foot-deep areas. So they're still critical, even uh, even in spawning, for helping you find the right type of areas to, to fish in. Fair enough. Fair enough. Interesting. How, when, when you're when you're going to be on a uh, sight fishing bite like you were because of the timing of this, uh, how does that affect your pre fishing? Um, well, it's interesting because pre fishing, I really didn't know I was going to be on a sight fishing bite. In fact, uh, the fish, when I found the, the fish that I want on, when I found them in practice, I, uh, I did not find them by sight fishing and looking at them. I was just casting like a, a little wacky worm around on the outside edge of these, uh, this sawgrass and, and cattails and, and getting bites. And I found the area 
so, but the, the actual the fish pulling up and spawning and getting where you could see them that developed in the tournament midstream. So I had to make an adjustment <laughs> during the during the uh, semifinal round. Um, I, in fact, I started my morning in my best area, just fishing, and I didn't catch a fish. And I didn't realize those fish had locked on beds. That was the problem. And uh, ended up going back to that area later in the event, and uh, that turned it out on the final day to be my winning area. But I just had to adjust and realize the fish had locked on. You know, there's a there's a period during the spawn that you can't hardly catch the fish unless you can see them and, and really work an individual fish. They they get very difficult to catch, and uh, that's where the sight fishing skill really takes over. That is definitely definitely interesting. Can I ask a, a general question about uh, sight fishing. Uh, I have I have uh, sight fish before, and it's it's certainly different. And everybody thinks, oh, it's like shooting fish in a barrel; it's too easy. It, it takes a whole different <laughs> takes a whole different skill set because, man, oh man, uh, it, it is it, it, just getting it down. You, 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 there's an awful lot of uh, obligation of using your eyes more so than feeling the bite, because oftentimes if you wait to feel that bite, that you're feeling what they spit out, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. And you know, one of the one of the most challenging things about sight fishing is is a bass that you can see. The flip side of that is he can see you, and um, that that's one of the things that makes it so so difficult to do. And um, you know, if I was going to give uh, uh, give the listeners a tip for how to be a better sight fisherman, it, it would be just to be stealthy. So I'm always thinking about um, trying to hide from the fish a little bit. In other words, when I'm around this sawgrass. If I can get kind of behind a few blades of sawgrass, put it between me and the fish, so that there's something as the fish is trying to look at me, something to break my profile up a little bit. Uh, maybe take my boat and hide around the back side of a point where I can kind of just stick my head up and peer over to the other side of the point where I can see him. Um, you know, think about it like hunting. You know, you want to, you don't sit out in the open for a big deer. You kind of hide yourself a little bit and you camouflage. The same type of thought process goes into being successful as a sight fisherman during the spring. Excellent. Excellent. I want to keep talking about sight fishing, but I need to take a real quick break. I'll let uh, our sponsors have a word. I'll let you talk about your sponsors when we come back. We're on with the heavy hitter himself, Elton Jones. Just won the uh, Major League Fishing Heavy Hitters Tournament on Sharon Harris Reservoir in Raleigh. Uh, one of the top pros of all time, $3 million in winnings. Not bad, I would say. We'll be right back with more Elton Jones when we fish ASA returns. You know, when I look at the tournaments I've won, probably four or five of the boats that I've won have been on a tube. But I had completely gotten away from flipping a tube because nobody, nobody made one soft enough. Big Bite has come with this new tour series of baits. The thing that's probably the most unique is when you look at that bait, the salt just rolls out of it. And to me, that is the reason a fish bites a tube and hangs on to it. This isn't one of those, let's go out and catch some smallmouth tube. This is a let's get it done tube. Bass anglers have heard it all when it comes to manufacturers having the best casting reel. Well, Daiwa can back it up with the Tatula SV. The Tatula SV has three key features that make it the most versatile casting reel on the market today. The SV spool is a lightweight aluminum spool allowing for long control light lure casting. MAG4Z gives you the option to set a precise casting range no matter what lure or wind situation. The Daiwa T-Wing system reduces line angle and friction when casting. 
distance, control, and finesse like no other reel on the market. Petula, the ultimate finesse long cast system designed by Daiwa. The St. Croix story has evolved over 70 years. With gritty determination, St. Croix built the most advanced fishing rod facility in the world. And with it, a world-class brand that has earned the respect and admiration of anglers around the planet. We will continue to challenge ourselves, our employees, and our partners to be the best every day. We're proud to celebrate 70 years of passion and commitment to making the best rods on earth. St. Croix. We Fish ASA is back. I'm Steve Surley. My partner Dave Kranz is remote. We Fish ASA is brought to you by the proud industry members of the American Sport Fishing Association. You know, if you'd be interested in becoming an advertising partner of the We Fish ASA podcast, you can contact us through our website, wefishasa.com. When you find us on social media, please click that you like us, you follow us, and share our posts. We appreciate for your cooperation. We appreciate following the career of Elton Jones, 31 years in professional bass fishing and still going strong, cashing checks and taking names. Talking about this heavy hitters tournament from uh, uh, Major League Fishing that he just won in huge fashion. Uh, beat the second place finisher by over 15 pounds. Pretty amazing. And we're talking about we're talking about sight fishing. So positioning of the boat, like you would you would want to position your boat so you're not with the sun behind you and casting your shadow toward the fish either, right? Well, uh, actually, in sight fishing, it's the one time I do want to cast my shadow toward the fish. Uh-huh, I don't want to cast it over the fish. Because so when he's looking at me, you know how it's hard when you're looking at the sun? Just think about taking a picture backlit. It's hard to see what's in the picture. I want him looking at the sun when he's trying to look at me. And conversely, if, if my back's to the sun, I've got the sun on the fish, I can see him better. So I'm trying to increase my visibility and decrease his. So this is that's the one time in fishing when you kind of reverse that, that role and you want the sun behind you. That is very, very interesting. Very interesting. And um, t- talking about uh, uh, my partner Dave had uh, Dan Johnson from St. Croix on earlier, and they were talking about uh, casts, long casts, short casts. Uh, I would think that to be stealthy, you want to make longer casts, but you're sight fishing, you can't get too far off of those fish. Uh, how close to those fish do you want to get? Well, they, it, it's different depending on every scenario, but I, my answer to that is as far as I can possibly be away from that fish and still be able to have a good uh, visible idea of what's going on, be able to see, be able to see the fish, uh, be able to see how she's behaving. So the, so the key is when you get a little further away, don't make your cast right onto the bed. You want to land your bait on the bed, but you cast past the bed and then reel your bait across the surface of the water and then drop it in uh, when it gets in the right spot because you don't want to splash that fish in, in a foot of water or you'll spook it every single time. But if you cast three or four feet past the bed, reel it up and just drop it silently in there, um, that will really increase your odds of enticing a strike. <coughs> I hear a lot of uh, conversation. We have a tendency to be negative. Uh, especially when we're uh, on social media or message boards, stuff like that. And people say, oh, sight fishing is uh, unethical. It's too easy. And these things are on the beds. And uh, you're pulling them off the beds. And uh, if, they've dropped, uh, if, they've, if they've dropped their eggs um, and get small fish come in and eat up all the eggs and you're ruining the spawn and blah, 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 blah. And uh, do, you, do you hear that? And how do you address that? Well, you do, you do hear that, but so let me just say, if you keep a bass, it doesn't matter what t- 
time of year you keep it. You're <laughs> messing true. up the spawn for that That's fish next deal. year. So you can keep that you keep that fish in August, and he's not going to spawn next spring. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah. bass are very hardy, um, and you know they'll go right back over and continue to protect those eggs. That's why catch and release is, is so very important. But side fishing or not, if you're fishing in the spring when the water's between, say, 55 and 70 degrees, you're fishing for spawning bass whether you're sight fishing or not. So, uh, you know, people that fish in the spring and say you shouldn't be sight fish, I kind of let it go in there one ear and out the other because they're not practicing what they preach. Uh, yeah. Now, if they say, okay, I'm just going to put my rods down, I'm not going to fish in the spring at all, uh, you know, then I can, I can I can say kudos to that person, but a lot, so many bass spawn in places where we can't see them or don't even think to fish for them. Uh, they're very prolific, and our, you know, our bass populations are so huge uh, in most of our warm water fisheries around the country uh, that that it's really not having an impact. Well, interesting enough, and you know what? I, I would think I don't know if this had any any. Uh, uh, impact on your making the move at the time to major league fishing but when you're doing that catch photograph and release like you do in major league fishing rather than putting the fish in the box and bringing them up on the stage at the end uh for for the weigh-in it is is a lot easier on the spawn major league fishing style Oh, it is, uh, and no matter when you do it, you know, we have a, uh, basically a zero mortality rate for our fish in Major League Fishing because, you know, we have an official right there on the boat. The fish is caught, uh, he's weighed, and he's immediately released, and the average time that a bass we catches out of the water through the whole process is about 30 seconds. Um, and I, I think you're going to see this just from a conservation standpoint, uh, really catch on nationwide and be the be the uh, the coming trend. Um uh, that, and that's one of the things I'm most proud about being part of Major League Fishing for are are our conservation efforts. Oh, you, definitely you should be. Uh, hats off to Major League Fishing uh, for for what they do. I think it's uh, I think it's phenomenal. I right, talk about this, these fish. You you caught fish in many many different weight categories over the uh, over the the time of this tournament and. Uh, mm-hmm. Your cat, you're you're spotting, you're uh, targeting the bigger females. Okay, how do you uh-huh. how do you know uh, if you couldn't see them? How do you know you're not getting one of the males that are circling that that nest, or, or is it pretty proportional? When you see a you see a bed that's got a three pounder on it, you know the males are all going to be a lot smaller. But if you're targeting a, a, a nest that's got a six seven pounder on there, you may have a three pound male. Yeah, you know, it's uh, if you can't see the fish, you really don't know what you're going to catch. You're, you're just fishing and hoping you catch a hoping you catch a big one in the process. Um, but I, I got to tell you, at Raleigh, there were quite a few males that pushed that three pound limit um, while we were there. It was, it was very impressive to see the quality of those fisheries, the, the average size of those fish, the health of those fish, how they're built. That, I was, I'm, I've been to Raleigh twice now, and I've been amazed both times. It just, um, some of the fattest bass I've seen anywhere in America live within uh, 100 miles of Raleigh, North Carolina. Of all places, I, I never would have guessed that. Wow. But, it, but they're fabulous fisheries. Now, let me say this. If you see two bass on a bed, typically the larger of the two will be the female. Not always, but usually the larger of the two will be the female, uh, female fish. Um, you know, we had a three-pound minimum on the final day. That's we could not score anything 
under three pounds wouldn't didn't count. So I, that's where sight fishing really helped me because I could just put my put my Garmin trolling motor in the water, put it on high speed, and go down the bank with my with my sunglasses on looking for fishing. And if it wasn't a three pounder, I never stopped. I just kept going until I, until I'd roll up on a three pounder and then I'd stop and fish for that one. Sunglasses. Um, I'm glad you brought that up. I, I consider polarized sunglasses probably the most important thing you've got to make sure you bring with you when you're going on a fishing trip. Uh, when the water is as shallow as you are fishing in, are polarized sunglasses as big of a factor as I'm making it out to be? Yeah, they're they're critically important because it, uh, one of the reasons I was fishing shallower is because the water is so dingy. So, you know, the bass have to get a certain amount of light to their eggs. So the dirtier the water, the shallower they will spawn typically. Um, and, and, and conversely, in clear water, they'll spawn out deeper. Uh, I use Wiley X sunglasses and... Uh, they just they help me see the fish better. Uh, I use real light colored lenses, and what those light colored lenses do is they they uh, diminish colors of brown and they highlight green colors. And you know uh. the, the back of a largemouth bass is green, and so those light lenses really make those fish pop. So if, if you haven't tried uh, Wiley X, uh, you, you need to give it a try. You'll be amazed at, at, at fish that you will see that you never even knew were there and might otherwise fish right past. I just picked up my Wiley X sunglasses, which are sitting here in front of me, and got a smile on my face, because I, I really like them, because I think they're, <laughs> they're incredibly strong. Uh, they, they, you know, they, they last. You can beat them up a little bit more than you ought to, uh, but they're so good at the price point. You know, they're, they're, not, they're not the cheapest sunglasses, but they're certainly not the most expensive, and I think that that's a great addition to your arsenal as, as the right pair of sunglasses. And I wanted to know about color because I like to have two colors because sometimes it seems like that uh, uh, a, a yellowish or a, a brownish yellow and one that's more darker to the black gray side will make the make the uh, what you're looking at appear more vibrant depending on the color of the water. So you're, you're telling me that that's true too. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, that's absolutely true. So the yellower, lighter colored lenses are one I like, and then I also really like the green mirror lens. Uh, that's another one that's a, that's a, one of my favorites. And um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of science that goes into those lenses. Uh, every polarized lens is not created equal, and you just want to have the, the older my eyes my eyes get at 57 years old, I need good optics. For sure, for sure. Yeah, things change, don't they? Least... <laughs> they everything changes, right? Thanks. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. All right, and, and what, what was the hot bait for you at uh, Heavy Hitters on uh, Sharon Harris Reservoir, Raleigh, North Carolina? Yeah, I caught most of my fish on an old-school Texas-rigged tube jig uh, with a 316-ounce weight, and the, the exact tube that I was throwing was made by a company called Canyon Plastics, and it was their three-and-three-quarter-inch uh, gets-it tube, and uh, really... Like I said, doing it old school, 30-pound uh, test braid with a 20-pound test fluorocarbon leader, 316-ounce weight, 6-foot, uh, 9-inch Kistler rod, and just making real accurate, accurate presentations to those fish. And just trying to judge the mood of those fish and, and see how they react to the bait. And every fish was different. You, know, you have to kind of figure out what kind of action is going to trigger this fish to bite, and the next fish it may take something completely different. Isn't it amazing, as, uh, as productive as it can be and as interesting as it can be, sight fishing, sight fishing can also be incredibly frustrating because you can actually watch 
the fish ignore your offering. Go, what am I doing wrong here? You know, you drag it past its yeah. nose. You can, but you can, you, you can bounce that thing right off the top of its nose, and, and it doesn't even move or move its head at all. And you, now the blame is all on you, definitely. You know. Yeah, you know, a bass has a brain about half the size of my thumbnail, <laughs> but I'm amazed at how often they outsmart me. So. No, no, I like, hey, that bass was smarter than me. Oh, man, oh, man, it's really talking yourself down. Hey, I, I'm running out of time, and I wish I wish we had more time. I'm, I'm glad this is the first time I've had you on here. I wish I would have had you on earlier. Uh, I'm looking, I read your bio, and it said that you're a full-time day trader. I don't think I know another guy I've ever interviewed in professional fishing that, that day traded seriously. How, how long have you been doing that? Um, I've been trading uh, in the market for about 15 years, and uh, it's just something I really enjoy doing during, during my off time. Uh, you know, a good way, good way to, uh, to make some extra money. If you're not careful, it's a good way to lose some extra money, too. But uh, I, I've always been very passionate about the market. I'm fortunate that I have some people a lot smarter than me that I can uh, learn from and kind of follow their coattails. Excellent. Well, that is, that is great. Well, you got another $100,000 to throw into the market and help the economy <laughs> out, and we appreciate your efforts on that as well. There you go. Hey, Elton Jones. Yeah, thank El- you. Elton Jones, heavy hitter 2021. Appreciate your being on. Uh, keep up the great work. Win another one. I'd love to have you back on. We'll talk to you again. Uh, best of luck to you. Say hello to the sun and wish him luck as well, please. I will. Thank you, Steve. And I just want to uh, say, uh, wish God's blessing on everybody that's listening. Thank you very much. God bless you as well. Elton Jones, friends. Elton Jones, wonderful, wonderful guy. Glad to have him on. That wraps up this week's edition of the We Fish ASA podcast, the best darn fishing show on the radio or the Internet in the entire USA. I'd like to thank today's guests, Dan Johnson from St. Croix. Being on Emmett Brown, National Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame, Hayward, Wisconsin. Elton Jones, heavy hitter, $3 million man. How cool is he? Good guy, good guy. I'd like to thank our sponsors, St. Croix, the best rods on earth. Calcutta, makers of a line of products that fit your fishing lifestyle and passion. Zyawa, take a look at the new Tatula Elite Reel. You'll love it as much as we do. Remember that We Fish ASA presents a new episode of our one-hour podcast each and every week. It's available 24-7 at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Amazon, free apps from Stitcher Radio and the Apple App Store. You can always listen to us at the uh, website that we have, our home base of operations, wefishasa.com. If you like what you hear, please let us know. If there's something you'd like to hear us talk about or somebody we should have on the show, let us know that too. I'm Steve Sarley. Dave Kranz is my partner. We'll see you next week. Now, let's go fishing. I'm professional angler Kevin Van Dam, and people always ask me, what's the best and easiest way to catch fish? Well, that's simple. Keep our waterways clean and free of litter. You know, tossing your worn out lures in the lake is not a winning move. Pitch them in the trash. Do your part and join me. Visit KeepAmericaFishing.org and pledge to pitch it.